Good morning, Red Mountain Church. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for welcoming me uh, today and, um, yeah, for, for listening. I, I travel a lot in my role with the denomination, and I frequently have the opportunity to, to, to speak at churches and to preach, and I never take lightly the fact that people are willing to welcome me and, 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 and listen. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm um, going to ask you to just follow along with me as I read our text this morning. It's from Galatians chapter 5. Um, it's on page 10 in your worship guide. And so I encourage you to, to either follow along or if, you, if you're so inclined, just listen. That's very likely how most of the first hearers received this. And so that's okay as well. But um, this is, this is the, the, the New Testament reading and the gospel for us this morning from Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you'd, that you'd send the Holy Spirit, who we just heard about in your word and Lord guide us into a deep communion with you this morning Lord meet us where we are some of us are here um, out of habits or rote some of us are here um, maybe we would rather be somewhere else some of us maybe don't know why we're here at all Lord but the reality is all of us need a word from you we need to hear the life-giving Um, freedom-bringing words of the gospel of Jesus. And so I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds so that we can can gratefully receive the goodness that you have stored up for us in this portion of your word. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when when I was a kid, we had a rescue dog. And we, we, we brought him home and he was, he'd obviously been abused, or we suspect that he had been abused because he, you know, we brought him home and we took him into, my parents had a very, very big backyard, close to an acre, fenced-in backyard. It was a dog's paradise. But all that dog would do is cower in the back of the doghouse, just in the far back corners of the doghouse. And I was little at the time, and so I would, I would try to coax him out, and I would, I would crawl into the doghouse and try to to bring him out, and we would pull him out, and we'd, we'd set him loose in this big, beautiful yard, and he would just run right back in uh, the, the doghouse. And that went on for, a day, I mean, a while, days and days, until finally he built up, I guess, the courage or whatever to come out. But then when he came out, it was like a switch was flipped, and he went crazy. Uh, Barking at people, snarling and growling, tearing up the back door, the screen, digging, trying to get in. Um, 
uh, digging up the yard, chasing mole. There were moles would burrow into the yard. He would just dig up the backyard and, and chase the mole. And it was like, he, it was this the weirdest thing. He went from one extreme to the other, from cowering in fear to just losing his mind and no restraint. He didn't know how to be free. Now, this, I tell you that story to get into this passage because Galatians chapter 5, the verses that I've chosen this morning, is a passage about freedom. Right? This is Paul's point in Galatians 5. Jesus came to bring you and me real freedom. By the way, that's the reason that I chose Deuteronomy chapter 5 as our Old Testament reading for this morning. The point was not so much about the Sabbath, although that's important. The point was the, the, the bit at the very end where he reminds Old Testament Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, don't forget you used to be slaves and now you're free. And the Sabbath is a token of that freedom. It's not another law to follow. It's a breath of fresh air. That's the the reason I chose that. And that's the point here in Galatians chapter 5. Jesus came to bring us freedom, but we don't know how to be free. And we tend to be just like that poor dog that we rescued so many years ago. Sometimes we cower in fear, terrified about everything afraid of the rules and regulations and laws and morality and ethics and if we do anything let's call that legalism but sometimes we act like there's no restraints at all as if we don't really really have to worry about ethics and morality or or the law of God and and then we just do whatever we want let's call that license that's what Paul's addressing in Galatians chapter 5. Two, two errors, two ways of living that rob us of the freedom that Jesus came to bring. So two errors, one solution. If you're an outline person, there you go. Two errors, one solution. The first error is the error of legalism. Um, and some context can be helpful here. Um, since I'm just dropping you into Galatians, and you, I don't think you've been going through it. Um, but you may remember, some of you may know this, that the, that the book of Galatians was written to a church where there were, there were some people in the church that were trying to twist the gospel. Um, in, earlier in Galatians chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, Paul says that these people slipped in, they just slipped into the church, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they may bring us back into slavery, right? So that's, that's the situation that the Galatian church is dealing with. They've got this group of people who slipped in, and what they were teaching was this. They were teaching, yes, salvation comes through faith in Jesus, yes, but you have to do more, right? Their message was Jesus Plus, Jesus plus um, keeping the Old Testament food laws, the the holiness code, the cleanliness laws. Uh, Jesus plus a very rigorous form of Sabbath keeping. 
Jesus plus circumcision, which especially in Paul's writings, when he talks about circumcision, he's talking about the act itself, but he uses that as a proxy for the whole law. So that, you see what I'm saying? This is what they were dealing with, Jesus plus. And my friends, Jesus plus is bad maths, right? Jesus plus adds a condition to God's salvation freely given through unmerited and unearned grace. As if I have to do something a little extra to save myself. As if Jesus didn't do quite enough. And I got to get us over the finish line. In other words, Jesus plus drags us back into the cage of the law. Right? And it is, and this is, this is what I mean by legalism. Adding some sort of requirement for a, a type of behavior or obedience to the finished work of Jesus. So, it's as if Paul is like pounding his fist on the table and jumping up and down and turning purple. Um, in five, so in verse 5, I mean in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. He re- he's repeating himself. And almost, it's, it's almost sounds a little bit silly for freedom Christ has set us free, we might say, well, okay, for what other reason could Christ have set us free? But it's, it's as if he wants to emphasize the point and highlight the nonsense that these legalistic um, pe- people in the church were selling. Um, he wants us to, to, you know, to feel how ridiculous that is, right? Did Jesus obey the law partially and we have to make up the difference? No, Paul says. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. His work accounted to us once and for all. Period. And God's grace doesn't bind us to the law. God's grace frees us from the law. It frees us from the burden of fastidious law-keeping. It frees us from the crushing guilt of sin. It frees us from endless striving and wondering if we've done enough and the stabbing realization that we haven't and we can't. It frees us from our cavernous inability to ever be good enough for God. My friends, that is the that's the existential core of the gospel. That's, that's the right experience of, of faith lived out, and Paul sums it up with one word, freedom. At, significantly, that is achieved by Christ. Christ has set you free, he says. Not your good works have set you free, your obedience to the rules has set you free, your morality, your religious Orthodoxy, your cut glass theology, Jesus. Jesus is all you need, he's saying. Jesus plus nothing. So that's why he asks in the second half of this verse why would we ever submit again to a yoke of slavery? 
when you taste, when we sang about this earlier, when you taste that freedom, right? That gospel is good news indeed. Why would you ever go back? That's what he's asking. To go, to crawl back into the cage of the law is like Stockholm syndrome. Um, You know, Stockholm syndrome, the psychological phenomenon where hostages bond with their captors, their kidnappers, and begin to empathize with them and even love and support them. And you go, why? What's going on? Why would you do that? And again, I'm not a psychologist, but my understanding is that the idea is that some people fall into this sort of kind of perverse belief that their abusers and their captors are giving them some sort of security. Church, relying on the law, any kind of obedience or law-keeping for your relationship with God is like spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. That's what Paul is saying. The law is your, is, it enslaves you. Don't go, don't crawl back. Don't go submit again to slavery. The law enslaves you. Don't fall in love with it. So, so the question is, what does that look like? Um, in our, maybe in our context. I suspect, knowing some of you as I do, and knowing the kind of church this is, that really crass legalism is rare. That, that there's no one here, it's unlikely that there's anyone here who's going to say, well, you have to have Jesus plus something to be right with God. No one's going no to do that in all likelihood. But there is subtler forms of, of legalism, sort of soft legalism, that affirms salvation by faith all while subtly imposing some kind of standard that you have to live up to. And, um, you know, so how do, how do, what's the diagnostic? How do we know if we are being like that? There's a few things. Number one, legalism, soft legalism, makes new laws. It creates new laws that God never, um, never said, right? It elevates <clears throat> maybe preferences or cultural norms to hard and fast standards of behavior that we have to live up to. Sometimes it forbids things that God allows. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a setting where a lot of the churches that I was familiar with just would absolutely forbid things like um, drinking alcohol. I had a friend who couldn't go to the prom because his religious tradition and Christian religious tradition forbid dancing. Um, so what do you, you know, is there something that is taboo that God never really forbids? Or the flip side, requiring something that God simply doesn't require. Um, right? Jesus plus a strict daily devotional. Jesus plus... You know, you have to vote in a certain way. Jesus plus, well, you know, there's a right and wrong way to schooling option for your kids. Things like that. So making new laws. The second way you can sniff it out is a judgmental spirit. Just the ethos of the community is like, 
a running critique of behavior. Like you live in a, you live in a community of accountants who are constantly keeping a ledger of, of merits and demerits. Sorry, real accountants in the room. Love you all. Um, I'm a lawyer, by the way, by, by before I went to seminary. And so I'm the worst. Um, the third way, hierarchy. Everybody knows who the truly faithful ones are. It's the people who um, okay, and all of this all of this you know, comes from a mindset or a view of the gospel that, that treats it's <laughs> rule following as the main point of our faith, you know, right? As if as if Jesus came and the reason he came was to for our behavior improvement. I had a seminary professor who who called this Nike Christianity, right? It's the it's the it's the mindset that looks at Christianity and says just do it. God says pray, just pray. God says tithe, just tithe. God says, you know. Whatever. Now, don't hear me wrong. Obedience to God is important. More on that in a moment. But my friends, Jesus did not die. Jesus did not live for us, die on our behalf, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and promise to return to make all things new, to deliver us a self-help manual. Jesus died and rose from the dead to deliver us from the cage of the law and to give us true gospel freedom. That's what Paul is saying. Now, I alluded to this earlier. Some of you may be thinking this. Um, Obedience to God matters, right? It's important to obey God. And be careful, because if you tell believers that they're truly free from the law, they're likely to just throw off the law altogether and live however they want. They're likely to run out of the cage and tear down the screen door and dig up the backyard. That's legalism's evil twin. License or licentiousness, right? The the point of view that says, hey, my relationship with God doesn't depend on what I do, therefore I'll do whatever I want. And Paul heard this charge. If you read through the, the New Testament more than once, you can tell that Paul has been accused of that. And so he addresses it head on. In verse 13, he says, you were called, he repeats himself, you were called to freedom, brothers. Yes, freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So freedom, yes, but not for the flesh. Which doesn't mean just our physical bodies. The flesh refers to all of the selfish cravings and the boundless appetites that drive us and the, and the things that fuel our egotistical self-centeredness and our greed and our lust and our deceit and our anger and all the things we do to make ourselves look great and diminish other people. 
If you think, this is what Paul is saying, if you think freedom means that you can live any way you want to, then you are seriously misunderstanding grace. And that is just as antithetical to the gospel as legalism. Paying attention, I see this a lot, and I suspect that if I'm being completely honest, this is probably where I'm tempted to fall. But just self-disclosure, I guess. Paying attention to and emphasizing the things in the scriptures that resonate with stuff that you already agree with. You know, you can, and, and then de-emphasizing things that are, that are hard for you, hard teachings for you, so that there's a real resistance to letting the gospel critique you, like really deeply critique you so that you can change. You know, if you're a person who's passionate for social justice, you can find a lot of that stuff in the scriptures and you can amplify it. But you may be inclined to skip right over the stuff that talks about individual personal responsibility or or a different kind of um, morality and ethics. That's just an example. There's a lot of things like that. And what Paul is saying is that that mindset is just as bad as legalism. That's not, that license is not true freedom. Right, it's, it's, it's completely against the gospel, but, but good news, that's the key to avoiding it. The gospel. We sang about this earlier. When you hear the gospel, it changes you. Right, the unbelievable good news that God's story is not primarily about what I have to do for God. It's primarily about what God has done for me, for us. That God loves us, that God made us in his image, that he sent Jesus to live and die and rise from the dead. And Jesus promises return to return to make all things new. That's the, like, that's the gospel. And Paul's implying is you start there. Don't start with, okay, what are, what is the rules I have to follow? Because that will either make you a legalist in some form, like you're fixated on rule following, or licentious. You realize you can't do it, you throw it away. Paul says, start with the gospel. Meditate on that. Return to that again and again and again. Marinate yourselves in that good news and it will slowly change you. Ernest Hemingway, in one of his short stories, it's called The Capital of the World. A part of the story tells about a rebellious young man named Paco who had rejected his home completely and run away from home and thrown off the rules so he could live however he wanted. He felt oppressed. He was angry with his father. He was a, he was a, he was a prodigal who rejected his father's house. But his father loved him and his father relentlessly searched for him. And finally, his father placed an ad in the town newspaper that said, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. Hemingway writes that on Tuesday at noon, police had to be called to manage the crowd because 800 young men named Paco responded to the letter. 
800 wayward sons moved to reconciliation by the declaration of their father's forgiveness and love. Friends, if you, if you only remember one thing from this morning, remember this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's letter to us. I love you. All is forgiven. When we get that, we'll want to come home. And we'll want to obey Not to earn God's love, but because we already have it. We'll, we'll, we'll begin to realize that God's law is not a burden to bear or a hurdle to clear to be in some kind of a relationship with him so that he loves and accepts us. That, that God's law is it's, it's the, it's, it's the, the character of the Father expressed. It's a guide to live well in relationship with God and neighbor. And it's his tool to shape us into people whose character and hearts are more like his. So, I said there were two errors and one solution. No, no legalism, no licentiousness. What then? Is it a continuum? Is it like a spectrum? And on one end, there's legalism. And on the other end, there's totally, there's licentious you know, mindset, and you're like, okay, we just got to get it, we got to balance it, we got to get in the middle. Well, what does Paul say? Right? It's interesting. What does, here, I'll ask this, what does he not say? Here's what he doesn't say. To the legalists, he does not say, you guys need to relax. Live it up a little bit. You're way too buttoned up. Just calm down. And to the licentious, he doesn't say, you know, you, you guys need to buckle, buckle down and obey a little bit more. You're, you're running a little crazy here. That's not what he says to either of them. What does he say? He says, yes, freedom, not as a license to self-indulgence. But here's what he says. But, in verse 13, through love Serve one another. Not legalism, not license, love. Translated into mutual service and edification. And then in verse 14, he says this, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A phrase that appears numerous times in scripture. Jesus himself said the same thing. Hey, everybody, want to actually obey the law? Get to work on what it means to love one another. Right? That's the essence of obedience. The essence of obedience is not fastidious moralism. It is a heart motivated by love. Because love tempers the rigid harshness of the legalist and love directs the aimless selfishness of the licentious person. And it does so by recalibrating the, the 
compass of our hearts, which sets us on a pathway to, to, to translate that love and to serve for others. St. Augustine fairly famously defined sin uh, with the Latin phrase, homo incurvatus in se, man curved in on himself. Right? He's like, that's, that's what sin is. It means that all your desires and all your intentions and all your actions and all your machinations eventually are designed to just serve yourself. And what Paul uh, says is this, the gospel reverses the polarity and it directs our love outward to one another. Serve one another through love. That's the, that's the way. That's the way. <clears throat> and that's the word for us today. This is my encouragement to you all in this community. Serve one another through love. There's lots of ways to do that. I mean, I heard a number of them in the opening announcements this morning. Um, I suspect very strongly you can read about them in here. Um, right? Like, we all, have, we all have spheres of influence. Home, work, neighborhood, um, you know, how about this one? Enemies. I have it on pretty good authority that we're called to love our enemies. Apply that to political discourse today. Right? And then, gosh, it's, it's so easy in a church to just make a bunch of rules, isn't it? It's so easy to get everyone on board and to enforce compliance and to use maybe a little guilt and a little shame to, to get things going. It's also easy to do the opposite in a church. It's easy to, it's easy to check out and to drift uh, a little bit, maybe to the margins, and to, and to be here, but really you're, you're consuming without serving. Like both of those things are, are, are really easy to do. But if we ask, if the question we ask ourselves when we walk through those doors is, what can, what can I do to serve this community? These are your brothers and sisters. How can you serve them? What gifts do you have? What do you bring to the table that can contribute to an ethos of service in this community? To pour into one another, to sacrifice self-interest for the common good. What would that look like? Is it giving generously? Is it volunteering um, to serve in something you're good at? Is it is it serving in a way that you don't get any recognition? Nobody really knows. It's behind the scenes. It's going to look different for different people, and not everybody is called to do everything. But serve one another through love. I'll, I'll close with this. This is an illustration um, from, a, from a theologian called Michael Horton that I read. I think it's great. And it's an illustration of, of our life of faith and our relationship to God's law. So he's getting at what Paul's getting at here. Um, he says, imagine a great sailing ship. And it's decked out with the most up-to-date and modern, sophisticated 
communications equipment that money can buy. And it's got guidance technology and radar and sonar and satellite communication and GPS and weather equipment, all the stuff, all the things. Here's what he says. All of that equipment won't move the ship one inch. That ship has to be propelled by the wind filling its sails. He says God's law is like that guidance technology for our journey of faith. It can plot our course. can tell us if a storm is coming. It can show us our present location. It can be an indication, are we on the right track? But it cannot fill our sails. It can't move us one inch. So what moves us? What propels us on our journey? Well, the very last verse, here's what Paul says. Basically, he's saying, don't do all this other stuff. Don't do legalism. Don't do license. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Then then you'll be going the right direction. That's the wind in our sails. The, The Holy Spirit of God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, Two things, primarily. Number one, the Holy Spirit eliminates, and I mean shines light on, clarifies, reveals the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens our hearts and our eyes and our minds so that we can really grasp the work of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts. The Holy Spirit moves us to trust and believe That's the wind in our sails. That's the gospel changing us and motivating us to lives of freedom where we gladly obey God's law so that we can serve one another by love. That's my prayer for for you all today. For me too, I need it pretty badly as well. And so let me invite you now to, to pray along with me. Um, Heavenly Father, it's so easy for us to fall off on one side or the other of the of the road um, into the ditch of legalism, even when we don't mean to, or into the ditch of licentiousness, where we we discount and de-emphasize Your Word to us and how that ought to impact our hearts and lives. And so, God, I pray that You will forgive us. But I also pray that you'll help us to respond to that, not with guilt and shame, Lord, but with um, just returning again and again to the gospel and the good news um, of what Jesus has done for us. And I pray that you'll take that gospel, Lord, and fill our sails so we can, we can move through life, uh, moving towards love. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.